oh, let's make some peace together. Let's sew some different pieces together so that we may have wholeness. Let's wonder what parts of our lives have been torn apart or maybe in remnants that we're not sure how they fit together and sow some peace. Where there's hatred, it said, let us sow love. Where there's injury, let us sow pardon. Where do we start stitching? You know, show me where to start, God. There's a lot of places that need to be stitched up. Sewing peace together in this world. Sometimes we feel like the character at the end of the skit that just says, I just don't know how to control it, God. I just don't know what's next for me. What can I do? Please help me. You know, I feel like I might be falling apart. I don't know how to sew it back together. Where are you, God? Can you help me in this, please? Can you help me in this? You know, for 30 years, we've been doing AIDS walks. For 30 years. We celebrate the treatments. We celebrate the healings. We celebrate that people live longer than 24 months now. And at the same time, we think, we're doing another AIDS walk? You know? We have someone new come and visit us who just got the diagnosis that they're HIV positive last week. We hear of partners who didn't tell the person that they were HIV positive and someone new becomes infected. We hear of churches who don't want to say the word condom. And you know, I just get a little bit angry. How do we sew this back together, God? 30 years. I'm ready for some healing. A little bit more healing, even while I celebrate the things that have come along. For 50 years, we've been working on civil rights, justice. 50 years. The anniversary today in Selma, some of our people are there celebrating, marching. And we want to really look at all the progress we've made. We want to look at all of the things that have moved forward in our society. And at the same time, we recognize that on Friday, another unarmed black person, young man, was killed. Another person of color shot when he didn't have any weapon. It makes you angry. God, show us where to start sewing. We've been doing this for 50 years. Help us keep working on it so that this tapestry comes together in a way that makes a little bit more sense for us. And we don't have these tragic things happening anymore. Help us. 2,000 plus years ago, a man named Jesus chose to walk into Jerusalem knowing it wasn't going to end well. Blessings on the walk that we still need. Jesus chose to walk into Jerusalem knowing it wouldn't end well because he knew the system had to change. He knew that all the pieces that had been falling apart, it was getting worse and something different had to happen. And we've celebrated that walk every year, 2,000 years since then. We celebrate it in the season of Lent. We'll celebrate it during Holy Week. We'll celebrate all the great things our faith has done throughout the centuries, all the wonderful things we've created, all the injustices we've rectified. And we want to celebrate and mark all those things. And at the same time, we recognize there's still so much more to do. God, help us sew some more stitches. Help us know where to look. 
Help us know where to pick up those pieces so that we can find more healing in this world, so that we can take that injury and create pardon. We can take that hatred and so love. Sometimes we're just afraid of what the next step is. We're not sure what it'll take from us, what will be needed from us on our faith journey in order to do it. We don't know if we have the resources or not, so we might just stop before even getting started. So what do we hear this day and this morning when we talk about these journeys that we've been making and we celebrate the impact we have and still know that there's so much more to do or we might even wrestle with our own emotions of either futility and apathy or on the other side, we might just get angry. Might just get ticked off about it. But then we just may not know what to do with the anger either. So I want to talk this morning some about what anger does for us in our lives and how we might be able to use it for good instead of against good. I like the Williamson quote this morning. It said, I want to both be in touch with my anger and to release my anger. I feel my anger, accept it there, and surrender it to God for transformation. Have you ever thought your anger could be surrendered to God? For transformation I want to be in touch with it and release it so that there might be transformation that God may do something new with this passionate way I'm feeling oh God please more than I affirm you be at peace we all giggled I remember people trying to help me along the way with anger sometimes and it wasn't always helpful because I was caught. I want to look at a scriptural model for dealing with anger, because I believe this is what Jesus actually did, and we'll get to the story in the gospel then. So I want to look at this verse from Ephesians 4.26. You might know this. It's also in the Psalms, so it comes from Psalm 4. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry, but do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger. In some versions of this text, it has be angry, period. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Have you ever been taught that being angry was bad? Did someone tell you, either at home or in church, that if you had angry feelings at all, that you were being bad? That something was wrong with you? So that you couldn't feel them at all? I came from one of those homes. You know, what happens when you can't be angry? Be kind of hard. So let's look at these three pieces of this together. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I'm going to talk about it in three ways. I'm going to talk about first, we need to honor our anger, which is be angry. Second, we need to harness our anger, which is the do not sin. Third, we need to harvest, because there's a harvest. We need to harvest our anger which means to work on it before the sun goes down. You know, so let's talk about those together. First, honoring anger. Not that it's bad, but it might be important. Has your anger ever told you something you didn't know about yourself? Someone may have been violating a boundary. Someone may have been taking advantage of you. You might have got self-righteously indignant at seeing someone hurt. Your anger may, within it, have a clue to tell you something about yourself. But if you don't honor it, if you stuff it, 
Any stuffers out there? Stuff it. You know, sometimes you get to be sick. You get to have ulcers. You get to have migraines. You get to have accidents. If you stuff it, it's a powerful emotion. If we don't pay attention and bring before God all of who we are, including our anger, we do harm to ourselves. And inadvertently, sometimes we do harm to all of those around us. Or maybe not inadvertently, maybe intentionally. So the first step from a scriptural model is don't stuff it. Say it. Know that you're angry. Be it. But there's a caveat in it. Be angry, but do not sin. Okay, that's where we need some help, maybe. Be angry, but do not sin. You have one of those people in your life who's a spewer, a spewer, they get angry, and it goes all over everyone and everything around them, and at the end of it, you don't even know if anything was accomplished. Or maybe you have someone in your family that was a sniper, right? Knew what the target was, and boy, decimated that person, you know? Neither of those are good. Neither of those are helpful to spew and hurt yourself and others or to really take someone out. Those aren't let me sow love instead of hatred. Those aren't learning from the anger. But sometimes we get in those places, our habits of what we've done before. Some people even think, but I can't control it. You heard the person in the skit, I can't control it. And I love this exercise done over and over again, repeated in prisons for those incarcerated, where they were trying to teach people teach people impulse management and control and how to react to their anger. And this one therapist developed this method that works really well. He actually had a gun pointed at the person's head. You know, it wasn't loaded, but a gun, physical gun pointed at the person's head who said they couldn't control anger and then told them to act out. And they said, are you crazy? There's a gun pointed to my head. Are you crazy? You're going to hurt me. And what the most violent persons, most impulse persons control found out, they could control their impulse. When they did that exercise with them, they didn't react in the ways they always reacted, blowing up. So if persons in those situations can control their feelings and their angers through their own discipline, for their own wondering what will happen to them next, certainly we can too. We just have to find the right harness. Some of you like harnesses, right? Custom made, tailor fit. You know? So once we've honored our anger, we have to figure out the right harness to put on it. You know, some of them work better for us than others. And you want to discard the ones that don't work for you and figure out what does work for you. You know, I remember when I was uh, in my teens, my parents would always say, count to 10, count to 10. And you know, I could go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Boom! It didn't work very well. When I was a young teenager, I had a problem with my temper. And my mom was always trying to help me work on it. She called it testosterone poisoning. You know, just had to work on my temper some on that. And there's a story in my family of one time I took a magazine and threw it across the room at one of my sisters because I couldn't control my temper. It's become a myth in my family. Now it's a heavy dictionary <laughs> that knocked her out and sent her to the hospital. <laughs> you know how things can get magnified like that. 
But we need help at different times, controlling our tempers, wondering what might help us. And if it's not counting to 10, what might it be? In the skit, they said count to 100. And they also had people breathing. What will it be for you? Back in the days when I had many HIV clients, I had this one client whose anger trouble kept getting him in trouble. And so he decided to do something unique. And we crafted this harness for him. He went to a lot of garage sales. And at these garage sales, he bought little teacups and saucers for like five cents a piece or a penny. Been to seeing those at rummage sales? So he had a box of little teacups and saucers. And whenever his anger got to the point where he didn't think he'd control himself, he'd pull out the box. And he'd go out to the back where the trash can was, and he'd take that teacup and haul off and throw it as hard as he could into the box. Crash. He said sometimes it would take three teacups. But what he would do was first hear that breaking noise for him helped him release the immediate need of his anger. And then he would go inside and he would write a page. I am angry about. And after he finished writing the page, I am angry about, he wrote another page. It said, I will. What he was going to do with the anger. It worked for him. It was his little customized harness. We need to figure out what works for each and every one of us. And this isn't about stuffing the anger. It's about harnessing it so that you can make it used for good. Every now and then, I think I got it under control with breathing, reading my readings in the morning. I think I've got it under control, and then something will happen, and I'll just have another flash of anger. I was driving this last week, and 290 was closed. And so I was on the feeder road for about four lights, and I was about to get caught at the fifth red light to be able to get through it. My dad's waiting for me. I don't want to be late for my dad. And so at the fifth light, just as this car starts to put on its brakes, I zoom around it and run a red light. I made it to the other side, but I could have heard hurt myself. I could have hurt any of the other drivers that were around me. And I thought, Troy, what was that about? Surely, you know, it's a Saturday. Your dad doesn't have a timer on you. And when I said that, I thought, well, maybe my dad does have a timer on me. Something about not wanting to disappoint my father, not wanting him to think I disrespected him. Something about that fear helped me in anger do something I don't normally do. But to think through what it meant for me to do that. We have any road rage people out there? Feel like once you get in the car, it's your sanctuary for venting against the world and everything? Harness your anger. Keep on walking, guys. Raise a lot of money. We are number seven in the AIDS walk, by the way. So that's, we are, we are the top church fundraiser this year for the AIDS walk. So you say, Troy, where are you going with this? This honor and this harness stuff. Well, we're going with it is to the harvest. Because the last part of that verse was to not let the sun go down on it. And we're talking about a society that raised a lot of crops, did a lot of farming, had a lot of animals, and the good time of day was the daylight time. That's when you worked to bring the harvest in. And so when this 
passage is talking about don't let the sun go down on it. It says don't go to bed without having worked, without having learned, without having processed, without having intentionally tried to figure out what it's about in your life. Don't go to bed without a harvest. Don't go to bed without a harvest. And so if our anger has something to teach us, what do we do to help us learn? What parts of our day, of our time, of our experience do we shift with that harness so that we're able then to say, okay, this is what it means to me. It means to me that I really haven't gotten over my mom's death. It means to me that, yes, I've never gotten over when people treat people badly and I get righteously indignant. Whatever it means for you, you need to sort out what that piece is. And then, just not with the learning, the hope is that you'll take some action, a new way of being in your life, so that the anger has meaning for you and, be, and is transformed by God. Let it be transformed by God. So here we are, honor, harness, and then harvest. I want to tell you, Jesus knew how to harvest his anger. Jesus knew what to do with it. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, says the system needs to be overturned, and goes right into the temple in the Gospel of John, right in the temple, right to the money changers. Takes his time to make a whip out of cords and chases the animals out. Then goes to the money changers' tables and flips them over. That's where the word bankrupt comes from, broken bench, saying this practice is bankrupt. There is no value in it. Stop it. Some people want to think Jesus had a temper tantrum, but Jesus has been in the temple before. Jesus knows what goes on in the temple. This is the busiest day of the year for them. This is Friday after Thanksgiving. Jesus goes into the temple and turns over the table so they can do no business. It's not an act on the spur of the moment. It's an act of how do I tell people it's not working? How do I tell people this isn't right? Jesus goes into the temple and does that creative act of civil disobedience. Which then starts to change that world and change his life. Oh goodness, what if we can turn our anger into acts of justice, into acts of fairness for ourselves and our families and for others? What happens if we can let God transform it from a place of being fearful about what we need to do into a place of loving to change the world? Now, I don't want to diminish anyone's serious challenges with anger. I simply want to say, there is a way forward for you. There's a way of healing for you. And there's a way of purpose for you. And if we follow the path of Jesus, we will learn how to say, oh, it's true, I'm angry. And this is what I'm going to do about it. That's what we find in the scripture today. That's what we find in Jesus going back to Jerusalem to undo the system. Do you think we can harness our anger? for good? Can you think you can find the mechanism? We can explore together and make it uniquely customized, totally fit, just for you. 
so that then you will know how to go and make a harvest. Jesus then turns to the dove sellers. I think it's interesting. He drives out the animals, flips over the table of the money changers. Then he goes to those who are responsible for reconciling with the poorest of the people. Those were the pigeon or dove sellers. He goes to those who were responsible for that sacrifice and says to them, go ahead and get out of here. Even the poor have complete access to God now. This is no longer necessary. And I wonder what Jesus is saying in that moment if he's remembering Mary and Joseph because this was their sacrifice. This is the table they went to. This was the class they were a part of. So I wonder if he's remembering mom and dad going right to the table and say, don't make my father's house a market. People have access directly to God. And in the Gospel of John, written 100 years later, John is saying this is the indicator that the temple wasn't even needed. Those sacrifices we try to hold up aren't necessary. God loves us already. Anything that keeps you from that love is bankrupt. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>